morning, Grace. Happy Mother's Day. Good morning. Hey, um, for those of you who don't know, this is my lovely wife, Meg. So. Good. Seeing I'm holding her hand and all, right? Who's that woman? Anyway, um, we've just felt a heavy burden this week, especially for our students. Um, for those of you who don't know, we had uh, one of our students um, try to take his own life this week. Um, thank God he was unsuccessful. Um, but it just uh, kind of also stirred in some of the other students' um, fears and thoughts of the same thing. And it just feels like our kids are under attack. Um, I personally think a lot of this is because we've kind of uh, entered into some difficult stuff with them, with the series that we're in right now on pornography. And just, I think Lily's doing a great job. And I just think Satan wants to devour our children. Um, so I'm going to ask you to stand up as just a show of solidarity, and Meg's going to pray uh, for our students, and I would just encourage you uh, in your heart to pray with us, and let's just pray uh, prayers of protection uh, over our kids. Let's just um, make sure we tell Satan he has no place and no hold on our kids, and uh, let's pray. Father. It's been an emotional week. It's been an emotional morning. We thank you that you are with us, that you know everything about us. We thank you for the children that you have entrusted to us yes. as a body of believers. Thank you that they are fearfully and wonderfully made, that um, you hem them in from behind and that you guide them. And we pray, Father, that each one of them would know to the core of their being that they are loved by you, Amen. that you see them, that you care about them, that your spirit is in them, mm -hmm. and the one who is in us is greater than the one who is of the world. And we pray, Father, that um, amongst all the voices clamoring for their attention, that they hear your voice above all the others, and they see you pursuing them with your Hesed love, Father. And I pray that you would help us to be on the journey with them, that like you, we would notice them, that we would uh, stop what we're doing to engage them and be with them, and that they would know that in their church they are loved, that they would know in their home they are loved, um, and that they would above all know that no one loves them more than you. And so, Father, I ask that you would uh, just silence the enemy in their lives, that you alone would be the one that they listen to. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, babe. You can take that down. <laughs> I got one. So one last little announcement that I just wanted to give myself because it's pretty important. We have uh, coming up next Saturday, May 19th, uh, the first installment of uh, what we basically call spring cleanup uh, and I, I just was told this morning that this is kind of the uh, manual labor day more than the other days where we're really getting the beds ready, shovels, so come ready to do some hard work. Um, here's the deal. It is a really fun, it doesn't, 
this isn't my favorite thing to do, but what I've found every year is that this is, has just been a great uh, bonding exercise of being out there and working together. We just have a lot of fun together. So even if you're not a gardener, we still need you. Great way for you to connect with some other people. And here's the bottom line. This event, these two events, literally save us tens of thousands of dollars. If you figure we get 100 people showing up two different Saturdays, working four to six hours, that's 400 to 800 man hours. Imagine if we had to hire a landscape company to give us that many hours to plant that many plants. It just, it's a huge way of saving the church money and we really don't need to hire somebody because we can plant plants, right? So, so just show up May 19th, 8.30. Uh, just come ready to get your hands dirty. If you don't have a pair of gloves, we'll give you a pair. If you have a pair, bring it. If you have a shovel, bring it. If you have a rake, bring it. If you have a boom box, I don't know, whatever, bring it, all right? Hey, the plan was to launch a new series today, a series that we uh, have called uh, Grace Detroit, This Is Us, and it's really a few weeks of just looking at who we are as a church, what God has, has called us to. I believe that churches, just like individual, have a unique calling that God has, has placed us on this corner for a unique purpose and plan. Um, I believe that Ephesians 2.10 applies to churches as much as it applies to, to individuals, and uh, so we were going to launch that, but I got quite a few emails and, and questions of whether or not we were going to finish Hope Restored, because a couple weeks ago, if you remember, I interviewed Christine Bresser, and that interview took longer, and I never got to the sermon part, and so um, I just felt like we needed to bring some closure to the Hope Restored series. Um, I'm super excited about what's going forward. G's going to take next week and just talk about the mosaic, why we're a mosaic, what that means to us, and then we're going to just take other aspects of what we think makes uh, not, not grace one of a kind, there's other churches like us, I suppose, but what makes us uh, unique, what God has called us to uh, here in this corner, okay? So a little bit of a curveball thrown at you. If you were watching on social media, we were talking about the new series. It's my fault. I changed my mind. So if you're mad at anybody, be mad at me, okay? Grab your Bibles, turn to Romans. <coughs> By the way, if I don't hug you today or shake your hand, it's because I'm trying to avoid giving you my germs. So just so you know. Uh, Romans chapter five. Uh, while you're looking for Romans chapter five, I just want to give you kind of the cliff notes of where we've been so far as we've set up the series. We started kind of the basis of the entire series comes out of Proverbs, where Proverbs 13, 12 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And the idea there is that anytime you have a dream, anytime you desire for something important to happen in your life and that doesn't happen, or just as importantly, uh, it could go the other way when you never expected something to happen and it does happen, those types of things. And I love the, the word deferred here even means when you have to wait for something, even when you know God has promised something for you, but you're in that season of the promise not coming, there is a tendency for what I call to become heartsick. And so we've really talked for the last several weeks about what does it look like because we're all going to experience hope deferred. We're all going to have dreams that don't come true. We're all going to have moments where things don't go the way we want them to. And, and those. how do we navigate that in a way that allows us to still have a great sense of hope, right? That was kind of our, the bottom line and what the entire series has been about. We started with something uh, last uh, beginning of the year with, called the One Word Challenge. Do you remember that? I asked you all to pray that God would give you one word instead of a, a whole series of, of uh, 
of making these New Year's resolutions that most of us aren't going to keep? Uh, what if you just asked God for one word and then you lived into that word in the coming year? And, and one of the things that's become crystal clear to me is that you cannot and you will not live out the word that God has given you unless you have a sense of hope that God is in it. Hope becomes this fertile ground for everything that we do. I would even say that when we lose hope, we're utterly lost. Lack of hope derails your prayer life. Lack of hope sabotages all of your relationships. Lack of hope destroys your productivity, right? So hope is this fertile soil that good things spring forth. Or you could say it in a different way. Lack of hope actually poisons the soil and the seeds of God don't spring forth and bring life. One of the major takeaways that we had is something that G introduced to us, and he used the Psalms to talk about it, but he basically showed us that there are three uh, seasons that we go through in our lives, and it's not like we do uh, the first season, then we get to the second season, we get to the third season, that at any given time, you could be in one of these three seasons. The first season was orientation. This is when everything's just clicking, everything's going the way it should go. There really isn't a whole lot of chaos in your life. Some of you are thinking, wow, I'd like to experience that. Um, <laughs> But it's just, you know, God is good and this is awesome and, you know, it just, it's, everything's right. That's orientation. But we also discovered that there are great seasons in our lives where we go through disorientation, where what we thought God was going to do, he didn't do, or how we thought life was going to go, doesn't go. It's the hope deferred season where we're suddenly thrown off. It's not the way we expected things to go. It happens both in large seasons in our lives and even in the small things. But we also talked about this thing that if we can lift our eyes, have a 360 perspective, keep our eyes on God, that God will bring us into a place of new orientation or reorientation. And this is really where one matures and grows and becomes the person that God wants us to be. We showed you through the Psalms and through the different heroes of the faith that all of them went through these seasons. All of them had dreams. Some of them had prophecies over them that this is what I'm going to do in your life. And they had to wait decades for those prophecies to come true. That's hope deferred. But in that season of waiting, God was building their character. We're going to see in the passage in Romans, this idea that God uses those seasons, these seasons of disorientation to build the character that we need to carry the weight of the ministry that God has called us to. Uh, so Romans 5, and I just want to read this because I found it fascinating. Uh, this is a quote from the great reformer Luther talking about the book of Romans, and maybe it'll inspire you to spend a little extra time in the weeks ahead reading the book of Romans. But he says of the book of Romans, the book of Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word. That's not good. It just turned off. All right, I'm going to go get a piece of paper. Because I don't know that quote, but I can read it there. Hang on a second. Would you grab me a music stand, one of you guys in the back? Thank you. Always come prepared. I wasn't a Boy Scout, but the book of, thank you. Not only do you protect me. A little music, please. Sorry. <laughs> the book of Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word by heart. By the way, I don't know the book of Romans word for word by heart, but occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. And the more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes, the better 
it tastes. I love that. So maybe that inspires you to spend some time in Romans over the next few weeks. So Romans 5, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. Paul writes these words. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our suffering, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I want to say that again, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray that that would be true for all of us, but especially for our students who has been given to us. Verse six, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God showed his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Verse 10, for if while you were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for Romans. Thank you for this incredible book. Thank you for this little section of scripture that, that talks about hope and a hope that does not disappoint. I pray as we bring this series on hope to a close that you would solidify just some of the principles that we have talked about, that you would help us to uh, sink into the truth of your word. Lord, our prayer today is the same prayer we had last week and the week before, that the people that come here would leave different than they came because they have had an encounter with the living God, not because of something I've said, not because of something John or, or Bryce saying, but because the spirit of God spoke truth into their lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So in this passage, there is a series, if you will, of, of definitive declarations of truth. And what I would tell you is anytime, whenever you encounter a declaration of truth in the scriptures, when you read it and there's no clauses of if, then, and so on, then, then you need to read those declarations of truth and you need to ask yourself a question. I would actually say, this is the question I want you to hold on to throughout my sermon is, do I believe this? Not just intellectually, but ask yourself, do I believe this in such a way that it is, it is confirmed in the way I live my life? Does that make sense? Because what you believe really does transfer into how you live out your lives. Or said differently, does your, the way you live contradict what we're saying we believe? So you're going to hear these declarations of truth, and I want you to sink into it. What we believe deep down not just what we say we believe, because we read scripture and we've been taught to believe that all scripture is true. We say, yes, I believe it. But what you believe deep in your spirit affects how you respond. I want to give you a little bit of an example of this. So I have four kids. I have an awesome uh, daughter-in-law, two grandbabies, and I love them. I, I, I just, I love them and I am there for them and I am committed to them. But the truth is, they haven't always believed that. If you think about my kids that I've raised, there's been seasons of times where they question my love, usually seasons of discipline, or seasons of when they wanted something and I had to say no. 
right? And so then there's this, well, don't you love me is the first thing. Whether they say it, you can tell, even with grandbabies, right? If, if there's any time, they don't get what they want. So, the, so the, when you're young, when we're immature, our relationships are pretty transactional. But as we grow, something else changes. But the idea here is that I want my kids to get to the place where they know I love them regardless of whether I say yes to what they're asking for, or regardless if I have to call them out on a behavior, do they really believe? And when they get to the place where they really believe it deep down, then we can navigate any kind of conflict without it turning into this, well, you don't love me sort of thing. So you see the difference? What you believe affects how you relate and how you respond in life. So God makes these declarations of truth throughout scripture. And when we come across a declaration of truth, We need to stop and we need to meditate on those truths. We need to internalize those truths and we need to ask ourselves, is the way that I think contradicting that truth or is it in alignment with that truth? So when we have passages of scripture that says, take every thought captive, that's really what it's saying. I am thinking a particular thought and it contradicts this truth of scripture. I need to literally stop thinking that, take that thought captive and replace it with the declarations of truth that are scripture. And there are Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of declarations of truth. So we talk about this passage all the time, Ephesians 2.10. You are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do a good work, which God created in advance for you to do. The reason we talk about it, because I think it's central to a person having a sense of belonging, having a sense of worth, having a sense of, of purpose in their lives. So if you say to yourself, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can do. If, you've had, if your self-talk is, I'm a screw-up, nobody, I can't do anything, then that thought contradicts Ephesians 2.10. If your thought life is, nobody loves me, well, that thought contradicts Ephesians 2.10. You are God's work of art. If you say to yourself, I'm just broke, there's nothing good in me, if those are the kind of thoughts that you have, you are contradicting. So what I'm trying to get you to see is that you need to pay attention to your thought life and you need to ask yourself, does it line up with what I say I believe in the scripture? So in this passage, chapter five, we have these declarations of truth. But here's the small print. In this particular passage, all of these declarations of truth hinge on one particular thing. So look at it. In verse one, it says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Paul is writing to believers, people who have put their faith in Jesus. So in order for the rest of these declarations to be true, it starts with surrendering to Jesus. It starts with putting your faith in Jesus. Romans 3.23 says we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? Everyone falls short. But the interesting thing is that truth is juxtaposed with what we read in verse 8 where it says, but God showed his love for us that while we were sinners, yes, everyone sinned, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. So when we recognize that truth, that we are messed up, that we've made mistakes, and that we need Jesus in our lives, and we turn our lives towards Jesus, something profound happens, and we are justified, right? And let me just be clear. That is not when God starts loving you, right? That is not the moment that God actually begins to do a work in your life. If you stop and look at your life, you'll see God in your life long before you ever made a decision to follow him. What this passage is actually saying is, it says while you were weak, what it actually says is while you were helpless, while you could do absolutely nothing, God moved toward you. Right, God made, anytime you know anything about God, anytime the scriptures make sense, it's a movement of the Holy Spirit revealing that truth to you. So go back to verse one. 
We see the declarations of truth starting in verse one. When you say yes to Jesus, something profound happens. The first thing is we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the first declaration of truth is we have peace with God. The word peace in the Greek is erinae. In the Hebrew, erinae is actually uh, the same word as shalom and, excuse me, (coughs) and shalom is this Hebrew word that's loaded with meaning. But what it doesn't mean is you're not gonna have conflict in your life. What what that word really is about is is just this well-being, this tranquility, this security, this, this inner Uh, settling of your spirit, and it's this connection with God. So it becomes this pretty powerful uh, salutation. So if you look in the the Jewish people, often when they meet you, they say shalom. When you're leaving, they say shalom. They're speaking peace over one another, but it's not like peace, like can't we all just get along? It's this having this inner understanding. So I think it's best described in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, a passage that many of you know. Don't be anxious about anything, but in prayer, everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made to go to God. And the peace, shalom, erine of God, which surpasses all understanding, guards your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The pastor is saying you will have conflict, but there's a way to be in the midst of the conflict and still have a great sense of peace in your life. How many of you need a little bit more peace in your life? This has been... Um, A crazy hard week in ministry for me. Um, Just some uh, curves thrown our way, some things that I didn't expect to happen. Uh, I would say it was a season of disorientation or a moment of disorientation for sure. Uh, But what I'm really grateful for is that as I've sat with the Lord and just said, God, what's what are you up to in this? There's just been a real peace that God is at work, that God is building his church, that God is doing it. And even if it doesn't go the way I planned or the way I hoped, hope deferred, it's okay. God's in it. That's the peace. It doesn't mean the circumstances are any different whatsoever. I still have to deal with what I have to deal with, but I can deal with it with a great sense of peace. God is at work. God is building his church. God is doing something spectacular. Let's just cooperate with what God is doing. Okay. What I want you to hear, though, is this peace thing. If you are not at peace with God, you will not be at peace with people. There is an absolute one-to-one correlation with how you relate to God and how you relate to people. As a matter of fact, if you pay attention to your relationships vertically, it will tell you a lot about your relationship horizontally. So if you are not at peace with God, you will not be at peace with people. We just need to understand that. So let's keep going for the sake of time. The first one is that, uh, first declaration of truth is that we have peace. The second one is we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. So we rejoice in the hope and the glory of God is the second declaration of truth. The glory of God is God's greatness, his infinite, eternal, unchanging, his wisdom, his power, his goodness, his justice, his love, right? The joy to well up in us as we begin to understand and experience a little bit of God's glory. The scriptures say that in this life, we get to know about God's glory in part, but it also says that when, when, when time passes, that we will know God fully, just as we are fully known, that we will see God's glory and all of it, all of God's glory that we will experience. And if you think about the, 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 the patriarchs who said, show me your glory, right? They wanted to see more of God and they could just see a taste of God's glory because they wouldn't be able to handle all of it. And there's something in this that, is, that we are to look forward to. So when we talk about this 360 perspective, right? You're in the middle of difficult season to lift your eyes 
eyes and say, someday I will stand in the presence of the living God and I will see God in all of his glory. And that should well up in you a hope and a joy. John Piper writes these words, I love this. He says, if you are not filled with joy at the prospect of seeing and sharing in God's glory, then you need to pray right now that God would open your eyes and your heart and awaken your affection and give you a relish for his glory. It's a beautiful picture. So we place our faith in Jesus. We have peace with God. Second, we have hope and we rejoice in, in, in God. So much hope that we can trust in the fact that God knows what he's doing and God is in control. And then we get to verse three. And so Paul writes these words, so much hope and joy that we rejoice in our suffering, knowing suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God has poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, excuse me, God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The hope and the joy that is the fertile soil that allows good things to happen in our life comes when we put our faith. So we have peace with God, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, and we rejoice in our suffering. Can I just tell you, um, I do not like this part of the Christian walk, right? James, you know, count it all joy, your pain and suffering. Look, no one likes this. But the truth is, no one gets to escape it either. And so the question is, are you going to go through it in a way that brings out some fruit in your life? Or are you not going to go through it in a way that brings out fruit in your life? And so this passage is saying, because we have Jesus, because we know that God loves us, because we know that God is, is at work in our lives, we can navigate through difficult seasons, our suffering, and know that God is up to something. He is creating a greater character within us. His love is literally poured into us. I think when Paul was writing this, and this is a little bit of conjecture on my part, but I think he wrote all this and he was thinking to himself, no, I don't think they're gonna believe me. So I need to reiterate to them, the reader, how I know this is true. So he shifts gears just a little bit and he writes these words in verse six. He says, for while you were still weak, the word there is helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person, one would dare to even die. But God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Ver Jump down to verse 10. For while you were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. While you were weak and helpless, unable to do anything on your own, while you were enmeshed in your sin, the strongest statement in this, while you were an enemy of God, he still came and he died for you. I think in the Christian, especially the American Christian system, uh, we give ourselves way too much credit. We think we figured something out. Well, I'm pretty clever. I figured this out. I accepted Jesus. Now I have all this. And, and the passage is making it clear, look, you, you can't do anything. You don't clean yourself up to come to God. You don't, you don't figure this out. You, there's nothing you can do. While you were helpless, God moved towards you in a spectacular way. And he did it to show you how much he loves you. Romans 5 makes it so clear. Someone might die for a person that they love and care about, but who dies for someone that's their enemies? Who gives up what's precious to them for someone who despises them? But this is exactly what God has done. He made the move. He did the work. He is the one who reconciles us to God. Look at verse 11. 
It says, rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. That's the fifth declaration of truth. We have received reconciliation. I think if you look at this, the, the first one and the fourth one, the declarations of truth, uh, kind of serve as bookends, if you will. They're parenthetical statements. We have peace with God, which is pretty much the same as we are reconciled to God. Because we are reconciled, we have peace with God. And there's this beautiful picture of this is who we are, and this is all that happens between that. Here's the kicker. We receive reconciliation. God makes the sacrifice. God moves. God reconciles us to him, to, uh, reconciles us to him. And then he gives us the ministry of reconciliation. Because we have received reconciliation, we are called to a ministry of reconciliation. We are mosaics striving to live like Jesus. That mosaic word in our mission statement is, if you will, a code word for reconciliation. Rich, old, black, white, Democrats and Republicans, just for the record, that's the hardest one. Not sure why. And we do it because reconciliation is the heart of God. It's the ministry that he's given us. As we are reconciled to God, we are to be reconciled to one another. And the crazy thing is we are to be reconciled to people who we are nothing like. We are actually to be reconciled to people who we may not even like, maybe even in time, our enemies. Second Chronicles says, all of this is from God through Jesus Christ who reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We are called to lay down our lives for one another so that we can be reconciled to one another. Jesus' words were a new command I give to you, that you love one another the way I've, I have loved you. How did he love us? He laid down his life for us. Right? It wasn't that love was a new command. It was that he raised the bar. Now, this is how we are to love one another, sacrificially giving our lives away, not just for those that we live with, not just for our neighbors, but for the people who are, we are most afraid of or sometimes even most judgmental of. So maybe it's the Muslim community. Maybe it's the community of people who have chosen a different lifestyle than what we would have chosen. We don't show them love, but we show them judgment. You gotta say, no, I have called you to live life sacrificially and love those who are far from you. I think when we get this radical love thing right, that's when the people see Jesus. We are called to radical, unpredictable, scandalous Love. I think it's what the church is supposed to be. I'm not sure it always is, but I'm sure that it's what we're supposed to be. So some of you are probably asking, so what does this have to do with hope? And I believe that when you begin to operate in this realm of sacrificial love, that God does something, that he uses that sacrifice, he uses that willingness to step out in faith as a, as a way of opening you up, and then he pours back into you an added measure of joy and hope. We hear it all the time. When people give their lives away, they say, look, I'm, I'm gonna teach a kid to read, which isn't that huge of a sacrifice, but it's a sacrifice, and I did it because you told me I need to, and so I was just trying to be obedient. But that hour of sitting across the table teaching that kid to read turns out to be the best hour of my week. I get way more. I hear this all the time. I get way more than I give. That's God's economy. We, we talk about it with the money thing, and that's, that's true too. God's in that. But this is the, I, when we open our lives and live sacrificially towards others, God pours out more than we can give away. There's a way of closing this up. I just want to 
kind of walk through these declarations of truth and ask you a question. The question is, do you believe it? Not do you believe it because Doug said it, not do you believe it because it's in the word, but do you believe it because you're experiencing it? So the first declaration of truth is we have peace with God. The movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation. Is God inviting you this morning to experience his peace? Is your heart not at rest? Do you just need to experience God's peace? Do you need to say yes to Jesus? You need to just stop and say, I have made a mess of my life. There is no peace in my home. There is no peace at work. There is no peace in my life. Jesus, I just need you to be the bringer of peace. We rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Is God inviting you to experience more hope about seeing him face to face someday? We rejoice in our suffering. Are you in a season of struggle? And you can't seem to figure out what God is doing and why it's so difficult and where you are. Do you need to just give that struggle to God and ask God to show up in a powerful way? And we receive reconciliation. Is God inviting you today to be reconciled to him? Is God inviting you today to be reconciled to somebody you just know, even the minute I started talking about it, who it is, an uncle, an aunt, a cousin, a brother, a sister, a parent, close friend. God is saying you need to go be reconciled to that person. Is that the invitation that God has given to you? Remember, the movement of God in your life always starts with an invitation. I'm gonna wrap up the sermon with last verse. If your Bible's still open to Romans, turn to Romans 15, verse 13. Maybe a passage that you wanna underline. I've been carrying this passage in my pocket all week just reading it over and over after the uh, things got a little turned on its head this week and I was a little uh, disoriented, uh, this came up in my quiet time in the morning and it just became uh, the verse of the week that's carried me through. And to me, it kind of summarizes the entire series of what we've been teaching on hope. And it's a prayer really and it says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This hope thing that we've been talking about, it is a supernatural thing. You're gonna lean into God and God is going to give you hope. If you wanna go manufacture on your own, it ain't gonna last and you aren't gonna be able to do it. The passage is telling us God will fill you with joy and peace in your believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. Let me pray for us. Lord, I thank you for Romans. I thank you for this incredible passage. I thank you for time for us to be together. I thank you for uh, this series on hope and how you've used it in my own life. And maybe I'm the one who taught it just to make this week easier. I don't know, but you're definitely uh, using it to bring about an understanding in me and hopefully in, in all of us. Help us to be people of hope. Help us to be a church that's known for the hope and the excitement that you wanna do in and through us on this corner. Lord, you are a good, good father. Help us to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. 
as the uh, group of people got together this morning and prayed for you, um, one of the things that they heard is that someone is suffering uh, literally from a right kneecap. And if your right kneecap is bothering you, my guess is God wants you to come down here so we can pray for you. Uh, that there's some people suffering with loneliness. Maybe it has something to do with Mother's Day. Maybe it doesn't. Uh, but we'd like to pray for you. Uh, that some of you just need to accept Jesus as your personal Savior. If you're feeling that nudge, uh, we'd love to pray for you as well. So I just want to invite you uh, to come down, meet with one of the prayer warriors down here, and let them just uh, give you a word of encouragement, okay? God bless you. Happy Mother's Day. <laughs>